If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15 tonight. We have been doing a series of sermons, maybe more so sermons on less, lesser known parables or lesser studied parables, I should say. And now in our discussion series, we have just been digging into and looking at different parables that we have, really that we've wanted to. <laughs> That's the freedom sometimes that we have. We can, uh, as we, different one, ones of us host, picking ones we'd like to study. Uh, Luke chapter 15 uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24 is really our passage tonight. But real quick before we get in, just one comment. What an amazing thing it is that 2,000 years later, after Christ spoke these very words, we get to look at an illustration, a, a, narrative, a, story, of Christ, uh, a, a story that Christ told to illustrate a point set into a particular context at a certain, to a certain culture, to a certain people, and now, 2,000 years later, we're still learning and gleaning from it as much as we are tonight. And that's the beauty of God's Word. So, I hope you'll dig in with us tonight as we try to do it justice. Luke chapter 14, I'll read the whole uh, passage before we get into our discussion. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, Jesus said to him, A man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, oh, Well, I, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife. For that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. And the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and, and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave, the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those Men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. It's a pow powerful passage that Christ tells, and it's really set into a narrative of, of a few different passages or two, a few different parables that we could have looked at tonight. So with that in mind, my, my first question to really get us thinking tonight is, what was happening in Jesus' ministry surrounding this time of uh, this parable? Well, the first thing I noticed is uh, at the start of chapter 14, Jesus, it's a Sabbath day. He's, he's in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees for a dinner to which he's been invited. And the, if you pay attention to the flow of the chapter, every conversation, every teaching moment is catering to the, the context of this dinner he's attending at this ruler of the Pharisees' house. Because... Uh, there's a parable that precedes this one, the parable of the wedding feast, back starting in verse 7. And he told that parable though, to those who were invited to the dinner he was attending. You can see um, in verse 12, which is just before this parable, he said also to the man who had invited him. So Jesus, in particular, is dealing with uh, the attitudes, the mindsets of the people that are present at this dinner. And if you go all the way back to the start of the chapter, it begins with a healing. Healing of a man who had dropsy. Or, and, and Jesus 
poses a rhetorical question about healing on the Sabbath. Everything Jesus does in this chapter is dealing with some perceptions that exist among the people that are present. Maybe it's the perception of, of a, a legalistic, hypocritical perception of those Pharisees who are present, and he's addressing that. Maybe in dealing with these invitees to the dinner who have been shuffling seats, trying to get the best seat in the house, he wants to deal with their, their self-aggrandizement. Maybe he wants to uh, teach them about humility. And then when we get down into the parable that we're going to be discussing tonight, it, it all stems from this individual who speaks up and, and, and kind of boldly proclaims something about the kingdom of God. Actually kind of almost arrogantly indicates that he's going to be among those in that kingdom. And Jesus then tells this parable to deal with the perception of, of self-righteousness. So I, when I look at the context of Luke chapter 14, I, I see Jesus dealing with all the people present at the dinner party and the wrong attitudes, the wrong perceptions, the wrong mentalities that they possess. I'll just add to that. I agree. I think another, another way to look at it is Jesus is at a decision point in his ministry where he's understanding that the people he has been trying to teach the gospel, trying to teach the good news, trying to convert, it's diminishing returns. He's realizing that this is not going to render any fruit from these Pharisees. So he starts, I think, over the next few uh, discussions, in, in, even in chapter 13, chapter 15, in the context that surrounds chapter 14 we're in tonight, I think he's changing the audience of the gospel not changing the audience of the gospel in that it's not for the Pharisees anymore, but he's specifically saying, as Paul did when it came to the Jewish audience, I'm going to go to the Gentiles because they're more receptive. You, you see in chapter 13, he talks about this narrow way. He, he talks to the Pharisees and to all those listening in Jerusalem that here is this narrow way that you are not following. You are on this broad way that leads to destruction. And then chapter 13, verse 34, he talks about uh, how he is like this hen that tried to gather all of its brood under its wings, but they didn't want to be gathered. And how he lo he's looking at Jerusalem saying that. He wanted to gather Jerusalem up to himself like a hen would gather its, its, its little children, but the hens would not have it. And then it continues in our text tonight about uh, this wedding feast, those that were invited but did not take the invitation. And then obviously chapter 15 is all about those who are lost. Uh, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And so Jesus is, is at a point in his ministry where he understands it's not just the religious perfect or the religious righteous that need to hear what I have to say. The people who are lame, the people who are poor, the people who are destitute, that's who needs to hear the gospel, who will actually respond and who will actually change their lives for. I think that's exactly where we find Jesus in chapter 14 in our parable, telling this story in the midst of Pharisees who don't think they have any need to hear it. I, I would like to point out a, a larger context. Uh, the time when Jesus came and uh, working on the earth uh, to preaching the gospel, uh, to preach the gospel. Uh, he came to Israelites the Israelites were the people who thought they were the people of God. And they assumed that they are 
the Abraham's descendants, and they are chosen people, and they presumably thought that they were saved because they, I mean, they were the descendants of Abraham, who were Abraham, who was called by God, and they just assumed that they were saved. They were saved, and they were in the kingdom of God. But Jesus came to them, and he is preaching to them, saying, repent. But they couldn't understand that message. They couldn't get the, they didn't get the message. And this is another episode that Jesus is seeing their stubbornness to repent because they already think that they are righteous, that already think that they are saved. So this is the, I think, the larger context we need to have in mind. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, the only thing I'll add to this discussion really is the, the one, uh, another passage I thought, I thought was pretty interesting in leading up to chapter 14 was in uh, chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. It says, and he, Christ, uh, and he was passing through one city and village to another teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. So right there, if we stop, we, we, get to, we already had this idea that this is Jesus' last trip to this area. He's heading to Jerusalem. He knows what's about to happen. It's, it's going to come to fruition chapter 19 with a triumphal entry. But in his mind, I, I believe one of the things that sets up this context is I'm walking to the, my execution. And so I, 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 that just helps me place this into the last you know, timeline months of Jesus' life. This is what he's teaching. And then verse 22, 23 really, I think, sets off possibly the rest of this discussion. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And that then started a discussion of uh, striving to enter through the narrow door and knocking on the door once it's been shut. And then the Pharisee invites him into his home. And, and, and so these discussions kind of ramp up from this question, I believe, and alongside what, all that you said as well. Is there anything else that y'all would like to point out before we move into the parable itself from the context, either the leading up sections or uh, maybe what prompted Jesus to, to say this one right now? When we think about this, uh, this audience of Pharisees, this audience of religious elite, it's interesting, you know, we're going to get into the parable itself, but the parable talking about those who were invited, not taking the invitation. Uh, these were the people that were supposed to, to take on the invitation to receive the Messiah, their Savior, and they didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, they didn't want anything to do with Him. Uh, they were the invited guests, but... They would rather hold on to their traditions, hold on to their uh, uh, stature in the community, hold on to other things instead of let go of them for Jesus. And I think it's interesting that we don't see that at all from the unexpected guests that uh, the servant goes and gathers up. Every single one of them want to go to the feast. Every single one of them are, are hungry, uh, metaphorically, uh, Jesus is obviously saying, for the feast, for the gospel, for Jesus. And it's interesting uh, how that is the case, that they weren't invited at all, they weren't expected to be the ones that came, but yet they're the ones who are eating it up. And I think that's exactly like we're saying about Jesus uh, and his audience here, understanding who's going to respond. And, and the last point I'll make on that is, you know, it's hard, I think, to make well-fed people want to eat more. Uh, you know, it, uh, it's, it's interesting. You go on mission trips to uh, destitute countries, third-world countries, and these people cannot get enough of the gospel. They cannot get enough of the Word of God. 
and they continually want more and more and more because they're destitute of everything else in their life. All they have is the gospel. All they have is their faith. All they have is their love for Jesus. All they have is the family of God in that town. And yet, so many times, those who are spiritually fed well, they don't want another bite of it because they've had enough. It's just like a meal where you've had enough and then that person comes out with dessert and you're like, can't do it. You know, I, I, that, I've had enough. Uh, I, I'm about to just bust already. But you notice these people who are destitute of food always take that extra more, more and more and more. And that's exactly the, the metaphor I think Jesus is talking about. It, and the takeaway, the, the real quick of that, what I just said is, it's hard to make well-fed people hungry for more. And I think that's, that's the fundamental essence of what's happening here in this, in this parable is Jesus is trying to make people who are well-fed with the Word of God hungry for more, hungry for something greater than what they've already been eating and feasting on. I think, real quick on that, I think it's important to note as well that unfortunately the Pharisees were well-fed on bad food. Yeah. And it was themselves. It was their self-pride and their self-righteousness. And it's just like you're saying in the mission field. The people who think they're well-fed are actually the ones that might be the emptiest, you know, have the empty stomachs when it comes to the, tr- comes to the truth. Any other comments on the context leading up? Okay. All right, so let's get back into our text of our parable, verses 15. I'll read verse 15 one more time. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, Kyle, I think you already kind of touched on this as well, but what's the significance, guys, on this comment that really spurs this conversation or this parable from Christ? Well, I think there's an element uh, in which the, the individual speaking, one, assumes he's going to be in the kingdom, and that prompts Jesus to tell this parable that shows that some people who, who, who think they're going to be there actually aren't. But also, he's, the, the, it does communicate that this individual thinks that, that the, at this point, the kingdom's still something in the future. He's still, there's a point in which he's still viewing this uh, from that flawed Jewish mentality of, uh, of, of an earthly kingdom, and he's not realizing that Jesus has come to to bring the kingdom now, and that the invitation to, to be a part of that kingdom is right in front of him, and, and, and he's missing it. He's missing the invitation, and the whole parable is going to be about uh, being invited and uh, not accepting that invitation, and, and I think that's part of what's happening here as this man's making this comment, is he's not realizing that the invitation has already been made to him, and he's ignored it. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And also, uh, if I add something, is um, uh, Jesus uh, took uh, took that uh, statement as the as the uh, you know that as the thing that he can use to uh, say this parable? Because he, I mean, I feel that Jesus really wanted to say this. You know. Those who think that they will go to heaven because of what they are doing right now, like Pharisees and scribes, they will, they will not automatically go to heaven because 
because what they are doing or beca because of their uh, you know, ancestry, but uh, Jesus, was, uh, Jesus wanted to say that who, who can go into heaven? And Jesus really wanted to point out who can go to heaven, who can, who can be saved. So I think that Jesus, uh, in whatever uh, intention the person said that, uh, blesses everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, uh, regardless of the intention might be, Jesus used that statement to say this parable uh, to clarify who will go to heaven and what the one should do to go to heaven. Well, there's multiple meanings, I think, that can be found in the idea of eating of that bread. Uh, obviously, Jesus is the bread of life. Obviously, we partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, so there's some meanings there, I think. Uh, but what's interesting is when it comes to this idea that I, I think we've been talking about thus far in this lesson tonight is blessed is the one who actually partakes and receives the bread, the, the, the gospel, the good news, the message from God and receives it, takes it in and allows it to go inside of them so to speak. That's what I think he's saying is, is blessed is the person who does this. Blessed is the person who actually sees the bread and partakes. And he's going to talk about, you know, those who aren't willing to even see the bread in the first place. They won't even come uh, accept the invitation. Okay, let's keep reading. We'll start back in verse 16 and come to the, I, I thought, one another uh, key phrase in this parable at the bottom of verse 17. But he said to him, a man was given a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. What's the significance behind this large phrase, Christ, uh, the, the, uh, the, the master gives out to those that were invited? Well, you know, I think when we think about this, come, for all things are ready, it's... it's very simple to understand that when it comes to this host of this meal, he has made all the preparations for the, those invited. He, he, he has prepared, he, he has cleaned the house, he has gotten the food ready, he's gotten the table set, he, he, he's gotten all the food uh, perfectly ready for those invited. All the invitees, all, all those invited have to do is show up. All, the, all that the, those who are invited have to do is come. Come to the feast. Come to the party. Come to the table. Because the host has made all the preparations. The host has made all the different things he needed to do in order to get this perfect uh, night, this perfect feast, this, this perfect party. And yet, we're gonna, <laughs> the invite, the, those invited don't want anything to do with it. And I think there's an obvious... Uh, allusion to what God has done for us and those who reject uh, that feast. God has prepared everything for us. He has prepared Jesus. He has prepared uh, uh, redemption. He has prepared salvation. He has prepared a mode in which to receive salvation and baptism. He has prepared a way to worship Him. He has prepared all of these different things 
He has prepared the way for all those invited. All we got to do is show up. All we got to do is take it. All we got to do is accept it. All we got to do is come to the table. And because we have been invited, and, and I think it's, it's very, it tells a lot about God in this situation that God has done everything for us. God has, has made every preparation, everything he could possibly do to make this a great feast. Um, it would be foolish of us to reject it, and it was foolish for them to reject this feast since they were invited. Go ahead, Mingo. Okay. Uh, uh, theologically, also, it is very significant. I mean, like uh, Ben said, that, you know, it is, it is fulfilled. The plan of salvation is fulfilled, and the, and the uh, salvation is ready. The kingdom is ready. Now, come and get it. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, the, the, the feast is ready. You can come and eat. And it means that it's like Jesus was saying, the kingdom is at hand. And only thing that you have to do, come and eat, like uh, by repenting of your sins and be, being baptized in Jesus' name. But they re refused it. So everything is ready. It's very significant to hear. I mean, we are the beneficiaries of the banquet too because everything is ready. We, uh, we all came to Jesus and repented and be baptized and uh, and we are eating from his table. I mean, but these people who were invited, who thought they were invited originally, refused it. Because they thought they had already, like Ben uh, said earlier, they fed themselves probably too much with bad food, and they uh, mistakenly believed that they had enough. So they refused the fulfillment. They refused the culmination of the salvation. So this statement in, in verse 17, come for everything is now ready, is another reason why I think that this individual statement was a failure to realize the, king, the kingdom was here. He was invited to the kingdom. If you go back a few chapters in Luke to Luke chapter 11, Jesus is casting out a demon and he's accused by people of doing it because he was in league with Satan. And Jesus contends that if, if, if Satan is, is divided him against himself, how's his kingdom going to stand? But if you look at Luke 11 and verse uh, 19 and 20, he says, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if, it, if my casting out of demons is by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, I think Jesus is trying to make the point that their invitation has been here. Everything's ready if they'll just accept the invitation. But, but as he tells this parable, they're the ones who are going to be rejecting the invitation. So he's going to take it elsewhere. So I, I think this statement, come for everything is now ready, is a continuation or, or is a, a, res a response to this guy's failure to comprehend that the kingdom is here and available now, and he is invited, and he's rejecting that invitation. You know, one thing I was reminded of when I was reading these two verses of the difference in the invitation 
in verses, the initial invitation in verse 16 and then the dinner hour invitation or the dinner hour reminder in verse 17. It reminds me of when Hannah and I got, or we were getting married, I found out the difference between a save the date and a RSVP. You know, I just thought those were the same thing. And I don't remember if we even did save the dates, Hannah. But I just remember thinking, going over, picking out one of those or, help, you know, watching her pick out one of those. And I noticed the difference. Everybody's happy to get to save the date. Anytime anybody gets to save the date, they're like, that's great. That's awesome. We're so happy for you. But when they get RCP, it's like, you know, I got something going on that week. It's like, all right, that's fine. And that's, I think that's the difference here in verse 16 and verse 17 is that 17, now the day is, the hour is near. You, you, you were supposed to save the date weeks, months, days ago. And now there's personal um, investment required on your end. Everybody's happy to get saved today. The invitation is great. You are inviting me to a feast. Thank you so much. But then, then when the dinner hour has come and the, and the servant has come around asking, it's at 6 o'clock, will you be there? Now, now the excuses start rolling in. And so with that in mind, it, it, before we get into our application points, it reminds me just of how many people get excited and, and how you know, guilty we all are of this at times, of getting excited about a new program or get excited about this upstart this or upstart that. But then when it comes with personal investment, you go, oh, I don't know about that. This new ministry is great, but you need me to help lead it? I, okay, listen, I will be your yes guy. I will be your, your cheerleader. You know, and, so, and not that I feel like that even happens here, but just in ministry, in, work, in the workplace, just how many people will say, thank you for letting me in on this, or this sounds great, but as soon as it starts taking some personal requirements, going, I don't know, I have something to going on. So speaking of the excuses, let's reread those real quick and talk about the significance of these. They all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. Gentlemen, what can we learn from these three excuses or these three individuals that gave them? Uh, before we talk about the excuses, I would like to point out that who are they in verse 18, but they all alike uh, began to make excuses. Who are they? I think they are those who had been invited. I mean, the banquet host invited many, but they are, like uh, Jay pointed out, there are two kinds of uh, people who were invited. One group is are those who are invited right now, and the, the other group is the group that the banquet was originally planned for. So the, the tense is differentiated here. Uh, so the, those who originally were invited uh, for them, uh, the tense, the, the, the flip perfect, the, you know, the, the past, before past per, uh, tense is used. So uh, here, again, that Jesus is pointing out that there were those who thought, who thought they were already gotten, already have gotten into the kingdom of God, even though they didn't. So they were making mistake. So these were the people who Jesus said, uh, uh, who Jesus referred to as they. They all alike 
began to make excuses. Well, first of all, I'm glad I don't have a, a wife that I could just excuse on. I, I found that the weakest oh, excuse yeah, yeah. in there. It says, I, I can't come because I got a wife. <laughs> He's like, you know, I, I'm glad I don't have a wife, first of all, that I could just say, well, I can't do anything for her because she's always uh, down to do whatever I'm wanting to do uh, in life and go to church. Or I mean, can you imagine getting to excuse everything on your wife? But anyway, um, I, the larger meaning, I think, behind these excuses is, and just, just forgive me for my uh, language here, but these excuses are lame. They're, they're just lame excuses. And one thing I hate in life is those who flake out and all they have to give you is a lame excuse. I mean, they just got a lame excuse and it, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really add up. It doesn't make me, it doesn't, un, it doesn't compute with me why they can't come to something simply because of this excuse that they have. And all these excuses um, just aren't enough to Jesus. Jesus is, I don't care if you got an ox that you got to go see. I don't care if you bought a piece of land you got to go look at. I don't care if you got a wife. Bring the wife with you. I mean, what's the problem here? And the excuses that Jesus gives, and these three excuses, I think, very much reflect the excuses we give. Uh, the, the excuses that we give forth why we can't join in that ministry or, or, or why we can't come to worship or why there's empty pews tonight as you look around compared to this morning. They're, they're empty excuses. They're, they are excuses that aren't good enough when it comes to spiritual matters. When it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to our spiritual walk, it tells me that God's not okay with our excuses. God's, God's not going to accept them. At the end of the day, you missed the feast. You, you, you missed the feast that I prepared. I made all the preparations. I, I made all this food. I, I got my house ready to fill it up with you. And you didn't come because you got a wife. Or whatever the case might be in our life. Because you have practice because you have work the next morning because it's hard to have the kids out it whatever the case might be our excuses just won't be enough and we learn that from Moses we learn that all throughout the Bible we, we we learn that from all throughout scripture excuses aren't enough for God God is not going to accept our excuses especially when it comes to that judgment uh, well God I would have done this but this well, I'm sorry, the, it's too late. And when it comes to this feast, you know, at the end, he says none of them that were invited are going to become are, are going to come. Even if they change their mind, it's too late. God prepared this feast. He made all the preparations ready, and their excuse is not enough. And when we give excuses, what does it do to the host of the feast? What does it do to God? It makes him wonder why in the world did I prepare this wonderful feast? Why did I make all these preparations if these people aren't even going to come, aren't even going to partake? I think that's, it's, a, it's a powerful thought. Am I making excuses in my spiritual walk just like these people who were invited? And when it comes down to it, are my excuses just lame? Are, are, are they just weak in the sight of God? And Jesus here, I think, is saying yes.
Yeah, on the, just on the wife thing real quick, when I first read that, I was like, oh, 2,000 years ago, men had to get permission from their wives too. Yeah. But it, Ben is exactly right. These are all horrible excuses. I mean, who, who buys a piece of land without first having really examined it? Who, who buys oxen without first having put them to the test? Who, uh, now, the, honestly, the, the marriage one has some precedence in the Old Testament because uh, a man who's newly married... Uh, according to Mosaic law, did not have to enlist in military service for that first year. He was supposed to stay home with his wife, and it seems that there may be some appeal to that, even though that's limited to military service and not um, social interaction. But they are weak, and the thing that stands out to me, uh, especially since if you notice the article today, it was entitled No More Excuses, which is just a beautiful coincidence. But if you look at verse um, 21... The master of the house became angry. Now think about that. In a sense, who's the master representing here? Who's the one doing the inviting? Isn't it the Lord? And he became angry at the excuses. This is echoing something you can read about with Moses. Ben referenced Moses' excuses that you can see in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. And in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 14, after Moses offers up his final excuse... We're told that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I pointed this out in the article today, but, but notice, Moses didn't get into the promised land because of disobedience. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. He didn't get into the promised land because of disobedience. But if you go look at that story of him striking the rock, it never says God's anger was kindled against him because of his disobedience. God's anger was kindled against Moses when he made excuses. And here, the master of the house, anger, was kindled against these excuse makers. And if you look at the, continue with context, go down to verse 26 of Luke chapter 14, 26 and 27. Jesus, following this parable, speaks to crowds and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God should take precedence over everything else so that there is no excuse. And so in the, when you look at it and you add in the, the passages that follow, you see that this parable is saying excuses aren't going to hold up. Excuses anger God. And that when it comes to following Christ, there is absolutely no justifiable excuse. Right. One other thing that the master could be so angry about those who rejected to come and uh, making excuses is that the banquet was prepared for them. The banquet designed originally for them. But they are not come. They don't come and they are making excuses. You know, they are insulting the master who prepared the banquet. Really insulting the, you know, master. I mean, the Lord. I'm reminded of the phrase uh, "failure to failure to failure to prepare is preparation for failure." However, that said, and I think that's what makes the master so angry. Is they got they had to save the day. The invitation was given a long time before the dinner hour came, 
They knew this was going to be expected of them. And whether the excuses are lame or justified, just like the marriage one like that you appealed to, Kyle, uh, possibility of the marriage, you know, this was maybe understandable for the man to say, well, I'm newly married, so I'm, I'm sitting out this. And maybe it was understandable for the Pharisees to hear, well, this guy just bought a piece of land or he just bought oxen. And maybe to them it goes, well, that, what, that is a big deal. Maybe they, need to go do, you know, maybe they need to go check that out or work out the oxen for the first day. Regardless of the, whether the excuses make sense or don't make sense, they were still expected to show up from the feast because that was, the invitation was already given to them. And today, I think we've, you've all made, all made good, uh, good points when it comes to excuses that aren't good enough, no matter even if they do make sense. Even if they do, if anybody, you know, uh, I can't come to church, and you give an excuse that maybe makes sense a little, you know, stuff like that. The, the, end of the, the end of the day, the Lord, the Master, was not happy with the excuses because that's exactly what they were. With the time we have left, um, we'll kind of go through a couple questions quickly. What can we learn from the acceptance and rejection of the guest in this parable? You know, I think the, the, the thing I, I, I get from this is understanding that the people that were supposed to be a no-brainer, they'll show up to this feast. They didn't. And the people that you would have never imagined would come to this feast couldn't get enough. And I, I, I find it interesting who those people were. He says, go, and, go quickly in the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. He's saying, go get the destitute. Go, go get those who will actually respond, just like we've been saying all night. And I, I think that's what's interesting. The, those who were so readily accepted in, in the culture every day, each, each and every day of the week, were the Pharisees, the spiritually elite, the, the, the religious uh, perfected in their mind. Those were the people who were the accepted guests in any situation. But in this situation, when it comes to the kingdom of God, not only were they not accepted, their invitation was revoked. No longer are you invited to this. Instead, the poor, the maimed, the blind, all these different things, those are the ones that are invited and I think that's the challenge for us today is are we going to be like those people who were, who were supposed to be the obvious uh, uh, attendees at this feast? But we didn't accept it. It's just like this narrow way, Broadway. It's just like the man who says, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out many demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? I will declare to him and never knew you. Depart from me. Is that going to be us? That's the challenge tonight. Are we going to be those who give up the feast? Are we going to be those who, for whatever excuse, miss out on the feast prepared by God, the walk, the salvation, the gift of eternal life? Is that going to be us? Or are we going to humble ourselves, like before our parable talks about, lessen ourselves, and become like these destitute who cannot get enough? That's the, that, that's the lesson from the accepted and the rejected. Those who were supposed to be accepted were in the end rejected, and those who society rejected were in the end accepted. I think, any last comments before we wrap up? Very quickly before we finish, the reason I, I, I picked this passage is I experienced something like this one time when I was in college. At Freed, every December they host a, a large uh, 
a banquet that the freshmen have to serve at, and this is a, this is a massive thing for the, the university. This is when they raise thousands of dollars for scholarships. And on a slotting scale of, of sponsorships, people get to come, and, and they can, from hundreds of dollars to multi, you know, thousands of dollars, they come, they enjoy a great meal, they hear a guest speaker. Well, in December 2012, Laura Bush was supposed to be our guest speaker, and I was a junior or senior at this point, and an ice storm came in, and they pretty much had to cancel it the night of because no one could, uh, no one could drive the roads. She was going to fly in, and that, was it. that wasn't even going to happen. And so at the last hour, they invited all the college students to come and eat all this fancy food. So I remember putting on my sweatpants and going down and eating this amazing meal. They had, the freshmen were serving us. You know, I didn't know the names of the food I was eating, and I had way too many forks, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> and it, someone at the table, not me, mentioned the, the similarity between this, our, our shared experience at that moment and this parable. And that has stuck with me ever since because at the end of the day, no matter what I do, no matter clothes I wear, no matter the, the things I achieve in my faith, whatever it is, when I come sit at the feast with my Lord, I'm the riffraff off the street. Amen. There's nothing I can do, and there's nothing I want to do to elevate my status. I, I am a forgiven sinner that came off the street, that my Lord invited me into a feast, and I'm happy to be there with him. So I challenge myself because of this parable, and I challenge all of us as we listen tonight and as we move forward that we don't give excuses, and we remember just how thankful we should be to be sitting at the table one day, and figuratively some now as well, with our Lord. Let's close with prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you so much for the beauty of your word that we get to, to look into. Lord, I pray that me and the three other three ministers have done it justice as we looked into it, Lord, and found wisdom in it to talk about and discuss in an open format. Help us as we move forward this week to not give excuses, whether they are understandable to the people around us or, Lord, they're just made up and, and nonsensical in other ways. We know that ultimately what the bottom line is, Lord, we are held accountable to you. Help us be strong, confident, and never wavering in our faith to you and to the brotherhood. And I pray all this through your son's name.